folks. Brian Loritz, teaching pastor here at the Summit Church. Welcome to the Summit's Kainos podcast. We are a pastoral podcast exploring what ethnic unity looks like in a large, predominantly white Southern church. So our immediate audience is people at the Summit Church. Uh, We are well aware that many of you don't go to the Summit Church, so you are more than welcome to eavesdrop in on the conversation. I cannot tell you how authentically excited I am uh, to be able to jump into a conversation with one of my favorite people, Pastor uh, Vance Pittman. He is the founding pastor of Hope Church in Las Vegas. In fact, I was just with them not too long ago. They do a a series of meetings every January called Awaken, where they're just calling the church together together. Um, to begin the year collectively, communally, and individually focused on Jesus Christ. It's a pretty amazing thing, Vance. I just got to tell you, I was there on a Thursday night in Las Vegas, which ain't the Bible Belt, and the (laughs) place was absolutely packed. It was incredible and amazing. And so God has used Vance Pittman to do the unthinkable, uh, to plant a large, thriving, multi-ethnic church in Las Vegas, and we're gonna we're gonna dive into that. Let me just fast forward a little bit, though. Um, recently, Vance, you've transitioned, so now technically, as it relates to Hope Church, your title is the founding pastor of Hope Church. And currently, you are serving as the vice president of the North American Mission Board, which for those of you listening in, you're not familiar with the Southern Baptist Convention, that uh, the North American Mission Board, also known as NAM, I'm getting used to this. I didn't grow up Southern Baptist. Is that the primarily church planting? Is that what NAM is, Vance? Yeah, NAM would focus on the SBC's cooperative effort to carry out the Great Commission in North America, which would be, for, for their definition, between IMB and NAM, North America is Canada, United States, uh, Puerto Rico, and a couple of other smaller regions. So uh, it would be the missional emphasis in North America. The, and then what I would be is president of SIN Network, which is the church planting focus of NAM. SIN Network's the largest church planting network in the United States. Awesome, and that's S E N D, not S I N, just to uh, just to make that. <laughs> yeah, I was president of that network for a long time, so <laughs> I've just become president of Send. But I've been president. I was president of the Send Network for many years of my life. Unreal, unreal. And look, it's not a conversation with Vance Pittman unless I bring up the fact that he, um, outside of uh, being just a um, a, a godly <laughs> leader, uh, husband father, grandfather. He is also an amazing sports fan, which of course includes uh, the Alabama Crimson Tide, uh, who of course my Georgia Bulldogs beat. So I uh, had to had to bring that up in this in this conversation. Are, are your 40 days of mourning and grieving done with, Vance? 
I'm still in sackcloth and ashes, but I knew at some point in this conversation this would come up uh, because after the decades of obscurity that you have wandered around in, I know that now this is your opportunity to rejoice. So I rejoice with you. Unbelievable. Look, look. I think I texted you the night of the game and said, if you need any advice on how to celebrate championships, let me know because I've got some experience. So, well, well I, was, I was just going to say, Vans, and I'll say this. We, we, we can get on to more weight, weighty things. Um, Vance was like being extraordinarily humble, which an, a humble Alabama fan, as we all know, is an oxymoron. <laughs> he actually sent me a link to where I can order championship gear because as an Alabama fan, you just know – yeah, like you have that link as part of one of your bookmarks, probably. No doubt. It's in my favorite. <laughs> no doubt. Hilarious. No doubt. Okay, on a on a real, real note, um, uh, there's several things I want to get into with Vance. One of the things is he is, among other things, uh, an author, has just uh, released a book called The Stressless Life. I've been reading that book. Um, I'm, um, I had skimmed it before. Now I'm really wading in, um, I think, 110 pages in. L- let me just tell you, it's a timely book. Um, this is some of the most stress-filled times of our lives as we are in year two of a pandemic. Um, the, the weight and the pressure that we all feel globally is the highest it's been in our lifetime. And if people are looking for hope-filled, grace-anchored truth in the Word of God that isn't at 35,000 feet, but it is really at ground zero, real practical, as my grandmother would say, something that has shoe leather on it, uh, I just want to tell you this book, The Stressless Life, is for you. It's real practical. He talks about the implications of experiencing uh, God's peace uh, in our finances, uh, in our schedules. Just, It's just a great book. Vance, can you talk some about it? What led you to write this book? What are your hopes for this book? Yeah, Brian, thanks for asking. And and uh, obviously the book, when I, when I really began to think about writing it, I had no idea where we would be at this stage in our lives as far as this global and political world that we now live in with medical crisis and political crisis around every corner. But for me, it was born out of my own personal journey in 2013 of, long story short, having what my doctor called the, the physical version of a mental breakdown after mm. 13 years of planting in the West. Uh, my body just hit a wall and said, I'm done. And for eight days, shut down, didn't, didn't, uh, didn't do anything but sleep for eight straight days, lost about 18 pounds, mm. uh, and had to really do a hard reset on my life because I just wasn't navigating the stress, the tension, the pressure, the anxiety of everything around me that I was juggling. I had a wall and, and my team around me loved me enough to put some boundaries in place for nine months. Didn't let me do anything but preach about twice a month. The rest of the time I wasn't doing anything but resting. I couldn't take a meeting, couldn't travel, couldn't, couldn't have a counseling appointment. Um, and coming out of that, God began to teach me the lessons of the book. And that is really that God's offered us. We've settled for something far less than what Jesus offers us in this thing called Christianity. He tells us in his word not to worry, and he, and Paul writes, be anxious for nothing. So to live a life of stress, anxiety, and worry is to live outside of the boundaries of what God's given us and invited us into, 
And one of the things that distinguishes us as believers from the rest of the world is not the absence of stressful situations. It's the presence of God's peace in the midst of those situations. That's right. And that's what we got to get back to. And that's what the book's really all about. Yeah. W- one more question, Vance. You know, y- you read the title and you just kind of go, is Vance promising us, because I-, I go stressless life, that we won't yep. experience stress? And you talk about the difference between stress and stressors, I, yes. I-, I believe it is. Can you unpack that a little bit? Yeah, that's exactly what it is. A stressor are the situations in life that are going to happen. We cannot eliminate them. They're going to be days when there's more day in the a month, there's more days in the month than there is money to make it to the end of the month. There's going to be relationships. There's going to be scheduling challenges. Those things that they're going to be circumstances beyond our control. They're going to be stressors in life. Stress is is when uh, is a fearful concern. It's a response to stressors when when life's demands seem greater than my ability to meet them. Mm. Stress is when I look internally at myself to meet life's demands rather than turning independence to the Lord. And we've been invited in every situation in life to turn independence to the Lord. And here's the reality, Brian. Every obstacle and challenging situation in my life is really an opportunity to experience the faithfulness of God if I'll just run to him because he's promised to be faithful at all times. And and literally in the Bible, it says, be anxious for nothing, which means for you and I, and it's an imperative in the text, for us to live with stress is to live in disobedience to God because mm-hmm. he's told us not to do it. And in the book, I give five or six reasons why we shouldn't beyond the fact that we shouldn't because it's an obedience issue, but it misrepresents the character of God. It destroys our lives physically, all kinds of physical implications in our lives, the stress and the medical bills and everything else. So, uh, yeah, that's that's what the, the book really addresses is the distinction between we can't eliminate stresses. We can change the way we re- respond to them in our lives. And rather than it being a response of stress and anxiety, we can enjoy God's peace in the midst of the stressful situations of life. That's so good. Again, we're talking about uh, Vance Pittman's book, uh, The Stressless Life. It's out now. I want to encourage you to uh, pick it up uh, from Amazon or wherever books are sold. Uh, it's highly practical, rooted in the scriptures. You'll be deeply encouraged. L- let's let's get into it. Um, I, yep. I, I, I just I just got to tell you, Vance, I had I had heard about you for a very long time. You and I had planted churches around the same time. Uh, Vance Pittman is just kind of a, a household name, uh, really, because we're just going, man, there's just something that is beyond, you know, planting a church, uh, a thriving church is not the work of, I mean, we, we play a part in it as planters, but when you talk about planting a thriving church where all kinds of people are coming to know Jesus, um, anchored in the scriptures in a place like Las Vegas, Nevada, that's got the breath of the Holy Spirit written all over it. And God has used Vance Pittman in an amazing way. So I had heard of Vance. And then a couple years ago, um, I got called at the last minute. Um, Dr. Tony Evans um, had a family emergency he had to deal with. He was supposed to speak at the series of meetings I was just talking about called Awaken, and I was the ram in the bush. Uh, coincidentally, well, <laughs> I, I had been 
this is like the second or third time I'd been asked to pinch hit for Dr. Tony Evans, which is a high honor. Wheaton had called me one time to do that the whole nine. Um, and so that was an honor. Um, and then I had heard that this church was multi-ethnic. Vance was just coming back from a missions trip, uh, I believe, in, in India. And, yep. you know, if you haven't picked up from Vance, Vance, I'm going to just throw some stereotypes out now, and I hope this doesn't offend you. So I'm hearing multi-ethnic church, but Vance has a southern twang. He's a white guy. Um, yeah. I'm going, is this for real? Like, you know, I've planted a multi-ethnic. I've worked a lot of churches that are trying to be multi-ethnic. Everybody's talking about multi-ethnic. So there was matter of full disclosure, Vance. I get off the plane, hop in your, hop in somebody's pickup. Maybe it's Travis's. And there's like a yeah right in my spirit. Then I walk into service. And when you walk into Hope, on a typical Sunday, you're going to see on the stage leading worship a chocolate brother with with long flowing locks with a stage that's thoroughly multi-ethnic with a church that by the eye test is incredibly multi-ethnic vance any idea how many nations are represented at your church we actually do we do an annual survey and right now we're at 54 different languages that are spoken in our fellowship unreal and so this is you're you're listening to somebody right now in myself that is um, that is just naturally skeptical when people throw the term multi-ethnic around. I'm telling you, Hope Church um, is an incredible multi-ethnic church, um, and we understand that doesn't happen by osmosis. And so, Vance, you know, here at the summit, we're trying to go to where Hope Church is. Where did your heart for the multi-ethnic church come from? <laughs> Brian, I appreciate that. It's very kind, the words that you say. And it, it, it's, it's one of the things about hope that is my favorite aspect of our church. Like, I literally feel like I'm going to church in heaven. Mm. And what I mean by that is not the absence of sin. We obviously got plenty of that. Right. But there's this beauty of the diversity of God's family when you hear the Bible talk about it in terms of every tribe, tongue, people, and nation. Like, I feel like I look at that every Sunday as I stand up to preach. It's just an amazing um, <clears throat> uh, example of what, what Jesus is redeeming and building with his mission. And I wish I could say, Brian, that when I came to Las Vegas, I was so spiritual that I had this dream mm. that God was going to birth this multi-ethnic church. Mm. But I was a white kid from Alabama who grew up in an all-white church. Mm. Um, I moved here with two other white guys that I brought with me, one from Alabama, one from Tennessee. And as you well know, Alabama and Tennessee are not states known for their <laughs> right. uh, leadership in right. the arena of historically multi-ethnic relationships. So, I came here with not this on my radar at all. But here's what we learned. When, when, when you plant churches with a biblical missiology, you do not start with a church. You start with a city. Mm. Too much church planting in North America starts mm. with some pastors in a room and a whiteboard dreaming up the church that they want. Mm. And so they start with mission statements and values and programming and they launch a church and then ask a bunch of people to come to it. Mm. That's not biblical missiology for church planning. A wow. biblical missiology for church planning starts with a city, a community. And God had the sense of humor 
to plant three white guys from the Bible Belt in what is one of the most diverse zip codes mm. in the United States of America. Mm. So we didn't start with a church service. We started with a city, and we started engaging the city with the gospel. And here's what I learned, Brian. The gospel is no respecter of persons. Mm. When you start with a city, the gospel just begins to reach people in the city. And these three white guys looked up, and we had a church filled with people that didn't look like us mm. because the gospel just reached the people that were around us. And disciples began to be made, and God literally birthed a multi-ethnic fellowship. And about four years in, we looked at us, we looked at the church and said, what one thing is not like the other? Mm. And we were these Southern white guys and God had birthed this church now in four years of about a thousand people <clears throat> that were from all these nations, nationalities, backgrounds, and cultures. And that's when God put it on my heart. Wait a minute. This is something God is doing. And then I began to go back to the scripture and I learned that the church as a multi-ethnic expression of the gospel is not a new thing. It's a New Testament thing. Like mm. this is mm. all in right. the New Testament. Um, and so that's how it was born in my heart was starting with the gospel in a city. God births a multi-ethnic fellowship. And then I realized, man, we got to respond to that with some intentionality. So good. So if I'm hearing you right, then um, your vision began with your context and what drove what drove your vision is we just want to reach everybody in the community that God has planted us in. Am I hearing that right? 100% correct. To the point that I would say this to anybody listening to this, if your church is not a reflection of the community that you're in. Not every church can have an aspirational goal of 54 languages because not every community is that diverse. Right. But if your church is not as diverse as its immediate context and community, that's an indictment on the missiological advance of the gospel from that church to its community. That's right. Because the gospel is no respecter of persons. That's right. Yeah, 100% agreement. One of the things I've been saying here at the summit, you know, because— you know, everything's politicized now, as you know, Vance. So if you say terms like totally. diversity, people yeah. are going to go, wait a minute, is that a liberal thing we're trying to do here? Is that a progressive thing that we're trying to do here? But but if instead you say things like, look, all we want is our sanctuary to look like our mission field. Totally. I, I think that that not only diffuses the situation, but it, that is actually a biblical vision. So if I'm hearing you right, I, I'm hearing a caution against two extremes. On the one extreme, just kind of superimposing your vision of church and inviting people into your thing without any sense of contextualization. But on the other extreme, I'm hearing you say a vision for simply being multi-ethnic is too low, as great as that is. We had a greater vision, which is the gospel, of which compelled us to be multi-ethnic. Is that a fair summation? Both of those are exactly the way I would articulate. Awesome. All right. So, I mean, I want to press into this a little bit, Vance, and yeah. ju just get as practical as possible, right? Because there is some intentionality that you have to have where you go from this vision of reaching the whole community, seeing them engaged with the gospel, and and now and now a part of your church, 
uh, in the process of discipleship, what intentional things did you do to be multi-ethnic? Yeah, so when we looked at our church and we looked at our team and we realized that our leadership was in no way a reflection of our fellowship. And I think that as churches, it is imperative that our leadership be a reflection of our fellowship from a cultural standpoint. And I would argue that that's a biblical tenet. I said a minute ago that the church as a multi-ethnic expression of the gospel is not a new thing. It's a New Testament thing. Here's what I mean by that. When the New Testament church was born in Acts 2, I think any conservative, Bible-believing, gospel-centered pastor would say, we want a New Testament church. When the New Testament church was birthed in Jerusalem, it represented 15 different geographical locations spanning from North Africa through the Middle East all the way to Rome, dozens of languages and cultures. So when the church was born, it was multi-ethnic. As it expanded to places like Antioch, the church continued to diversify and, and be multi-ethnic. Uh, and, and what you see happening is the church responded by representing that in its leadership. For example, the first problem in the Bible in Acts 6 in the New Testament, the first problem in the church was Acts 6. It wasn't a Bible problem. It wasn't a theological problem. It was a cultural problem. Mm. There were Jews that were Hellenists and Jews that were or, or original Jews. They were native Jews who were arguing about preferential treatment over the serving of food. And so what the what the apostles did to fix that was they immediately brought in the leadership. Many believe it was the, the launching of deacon ministry. But if you notice the seven deacons that were appointed, all of them were Greeks. Hmm. So they made an intentional decision in leadership to be reflective of the culture. And I think there was a beauty of submission in how they said, hey, we're not only going to put them in leadership. They're going to decide from now on how this gets done. Um, and then in Acts 13 with the church at Antioch. When that church was born, the Bible says when they appointed leaders for that church, two were from Africa, one the Mediterranean, one the Middle East, and one from Asia Minor. And so there was an intentionality. So what we did to model the New Testament, again, not trying to be politically correct, not trying to be even culturally sensitive, just trying to follow the pattern of the New Testament church, is we said if we want to follow the pattern of the New Testament church, we need to begin to put together a pastoral leadership that's a reflection of our church. So intentionality step one for us was in hiring our first pastor that wasn't a white guy. And we weren't looking for just a non-white person. We were looking for God to gift our church with a pastoral leadership that was not white. I took that to our our stewardship team and said, guys, here's what I'm thinking. We had one uh, guy on our stewardship team, this godly elderly black man on our stewardship team. Here's what he said. He said, Vance, I appreciate your heart. But he said, as a black man and as a man who loves this church, you cannot hire a pastor because he's black. You have to bring a pastor on this team when God calls him. And I said, then let's do this. Let's get together and let's pray for God to give us that man. The next week, God brought into my life a guy who you know now very well named Teddy Johnson. Teddy and I had breakfast for the first time the next week. And two weeks later, Teddy joined our team. And now for 17 years He's been leading worship in our church, but it was that step of intentionality in placing a person on our leadership team. But it goes deeper than that. You can't just put people on a platform. You have to begin to intentionally share the ownership of vision, Mm. DNA, and strategy. It's one thing to put on a website pictures of people that have different color skin. Mm. It's something else to it's something else to allow multiple cultures to own the vision and strategy. So, for example, 
Teddy came from the all-black church of inner city Camden, New Jersey. I came from the all-white church in small-town Muscle Shoals, Alabama. Teddy and I began to share ownership of our services. Now, that was challenging. It was challenging because— <laughs> well, well, let me just say this. Let, let, let me just jump in here. I'm yeah. chuckling because, you know, as a black man who grew up in the black church, I understand yes. when it's time for the preaching of the word that there's typically a song before that, and that song in a black context can linger. I'm used yes, to sir. that. With Teddy, hey. you never quite know listen, when he's going to be done. <laughs> Brian, listen, the culture that I grew up in, not only did, did we not only told you what song we were going to sing, we told you which verses. Like, I grew up in the church where they said, we're going to sing the first, the second, and the last verse. You knew when the song started. You knew when the song ended. It was right, clear. Right. Bro, Teddy writes songs <laughs> while he's singing songs. I never know when it's going to end. Oh, so what happens when that happens, there's a collision of culture that takes, it wasn't that my style or his style was right. right. It was two cultural expressions of worship coming together. And there has to be a Christ-like submission right. that says, I will die to my way so that what comes out of our collaboration is a better reflection of a kingdom way. And here's what I'm telling you. I have learned so much about sensitivity to the Holy Spirit of God in worship mm. by following the leadership of my brother from another culture mm. who wasn't bound by a bulletin like I've been raised in. Mm. And Teddy's learned from me. So there's been a—our church is better because the collaboration of cultures speaking into the DNA and heart of our church— but it requires great intentionality to get there. Absolutely. Okay, so we're talking about practical steps that we can take to become multi-ethnic. Leadership is one. I'm also hearing you say empowering leadership by giving them authentic places around the decision-making table is another yes. significant step. Anything else come to mind, yes. Vance, that has yes. borne A great fruit? is... Absolutely. A third is an intentionality as it pertains to relational equity. Brian, I've heard you say many times that what Martin Luther King said, that the most segregated hour of the week is Sunday morning at 11 o'clock. But I love your adage that says the reason that 11 o'clock on Sunday is so segregated is because the six o'clock hour around the dinner table right. every night and every home is that segregated. And if there's not relational equity between multiple cultures, you never establish the freedom to have difficult conversations. Mm. Mm. Allowing for choosing, listen, and it's going to be uncomfortable because different cultures do things different ways. But when you get very intentional about doing life together, not just doing ministry together, but doing life together, you create a relational atmosphere that allows a safe space to ask uncomfortable questions and grow and learn together, knowing that your love for one another will transcend any difficulty that you may have in navigating a situation. Mm. But if you're not intentional about building the relational equity, you'll never cross that next line of really, truly getting to that place of having those safe conversations. Wow. So, so good. Um, you know what, Vance, this is, um, 
Well, one of the one of the things I'm constantly telling leaders, because I do think for many leaders, most leaders, it really does come from an authentic place where there is this thing in them in which they get up to their pre-existing churches and say, listen, this is the vision. God's calling us to go in this direction, multi-ethnic. A lot of that happened even in 2020, um, post-George yep. Floyd. You know, yep. there, it was a seminal moment in American culture. But unfortunately, you know, Jesus talks about which of you would sit down and, and build a tower without first looking at the cost. There is a cost that comes to this. Um, and there's a difference between ethnic diversity and ethnic unity. And the road between the two is costly. Vance, can you speak some, you know, I know you've been in the trenches. Um, this isn't necessarily glamorous work. Um, there's, there's a lot of painful moments. There's a cost involved in this. Can, can you talk some about that? Yeah, I've had painful moments on many sides of this issue as a leader and as a friend. Um, And and, and really, Brian, what we're talking about, and you know this as good as anybody, the issue of race and reconciliation as we look at it from a biblical worldview is really an issue of sin. It's an issue of the heart. Mm. And just like when you deal with any issue of the heart, you get up Sunday and preach on money, there's going to be some people that don't like that. That's right. You get up and preach on purity or integrity or um, honoring one another or husband-wife relationships or sexuality. People aren't because our heart loves what our heart loves. And that's the problem with the fallenness of who we are. And so this has been a, gro- this has been a growth journey for me personally, uh, just in my own heart. There are things that the, the natural tendency of our flesh is to drift towards that which is most like us. Mm. And if we're not intentional about these relationships, if we're not intentional about pursuing biblical unity, then what happens is we, we gravitate towards that which is like us. And what's not like us is what we, we put off. And in, in my life, what I've seen is I've seen times when, when, when we took stands that offended people from my own culture, Yep. that didn't like it. Um, but I've also seen times when I was not willing to make, and you and I've had this conversation offline. Like for me, the banner I wave is not multi-ethnic. The banner I wave is Jesus, right. the gospel, and his kingdom being expanded, of which multi-ethnic is a piece of that. That's right. But there's some people who I've offended on one side when I wave this banner at all. There are other people that get offended on the other side when I won't make this the one issue that has to be the dividing issue of the church. That's right. And so if you're going to walk this line, there is a cost. It's not going to be popular and it's not going to be easy. But here's what I will tell you. Pastoring a church for 21 years that now is living this way, living this way, it's awesome. Like I love the, the beauty I, I believe that there's a fabric of the image of God woven into every culture in humanity. And it's only when we see all of those cultures together in worship that we get the complete imago Dei. We get the complete image of God in yes. humanity. Yes. And when you see that fleshed out, even in its uh, uh, frail and fragile and finite situation here on earth that we're not seeing in heaven yet, it is a beautiful and wonderful thing. And the thing that is attractive 
to a lost world that's looking for something different. So good, Vance. Um, you know, you've probably had this experience as we wind down. It's, it's one of the most bittersweet experiences I've had as a pastor of multi-ethnic churches is someone comes up to you and says, with tears in their eyes typically, pastors, my last sun- Sunday here, uh, my job's transferring me to another state or retirement or whatever. Can you recommend a church mm-hmm. just like this one? Oftentimes, Vance, what they mean is at least a major part of what they mean is multi-ethnic. Because to your point, yeah. I've gotten a taste of this, and yep. I don't want to go back to the same old, same old. Is there a place for homogenous churches? Absolutely, if that's what the community is, going back to what yes. we, we were talking about. So I want to be careful there. But when you get a foretaste of this, um, you, it's just it's just absolutely amazing. Let's, let's end with this, Vance. Someone's listening in, and what we've been talking about, and I'm just thinking about, uh, the member of the church um, who hasn't grown up in multi-ethnic, multicultural environments, and yet they're like, I feel like I should do something, but it feels awkward. C- can you give them something they can do to start moving in this direction? Because I'm, I'm hearing a lot about just being intentional. What's something intentional they can do, Vance? Yep, I'm going to give you two things. Before I do that, Brian, you said something that, man— my own son. My, my son uh, is now in his doctoral program, getting his doctorate in physical therapy. When he went, went off to college, he went to play college basketball for a Christian university in the Bible Belt. Mm. My son, we moved here when he was five years old. So our church is all he knows is Christianity. Mm. He went to this Bible Belt town in the South to play basketball for the school. And he kept, he went to an all white church. He went to an all black church. And he said, Dad, I can't find a church. Like he was in a town that was 50% white, 50% black, and he couldn't find a church that looked like what he'd grown up in knowing Christianity to be. And so frustrating to him, he ultimately left that school, came back to go to UNLV because he wanted to be in a kingdom reflection of what the church was. Uh, So, man, I feel that pain deeply and personally for my own family. That's good. But for the, for the church member that says, man, where do I start? I think it's two things. Number one, I think it starts in prayer. I think you just begin to take this to the Lord and you begin to pray, God, would you change my heart? Lord, would you just begin to let me see things I didn't see? Because I grew up in the Bible. I grew up in the Bible belt. I grew up my dad teaching me the scriptures. And I never saw culture in the Bible other than take the gospel to people in other nations. I never saw that almost every letter in the New Testament was not just dealing with theological issues, but cultural issues in the church. Like those things that are so apparent to me now, I just ask God to begin to show you in his word the beauty of the multi-ethnic family of God that's from Genesis 1 all the way through Revelation 5. Ask God to just begin to make it something that you see in the scripture and make it come alive to you. Not in a way that we have to read everything in the Bible through this filter, but so that you begin to realize the beauty of what God is redeeming and designing. Secondly, ask God in that prayer time to give you someone from a different culture that you can begin to pursue a friendship with. And don't and by that I don't mean walk up to somebody at church. It's not like you and say, "Hey, I need to build a friend with somebody." That's not what, that's not what I'm saying. <laughs> right. But look for a way you can meet a need. You can serve a brother or sister in Christ, not with an ulterior motive, but with an ultimate motive, 
of building relational equity. Ask them out to dinner. Ask them to coffee. Uh, go, go watch their kid play in a ball game. Begin to build relationship because here's what relationship building does. You said something a minute ago, Brian, that's so true. A lot of pastors, they want, they aspirationally desire multi-ethnic church. What they're not willing to do is build relational equity that allows you to cultivate yes. empathy. Yes. Empathy is the key to beginning to walking in somebody else's shoes and listening with a heart of understanding and starting by prayer, letting God change your heart, and then beginning to build relationships that allow you to build that equity that can lead to empathy. The problem with cultures is we don't know what we don't know. One culture doesn't know what another culture has experienced, what they're thinking, what they've walked through, what their history is. And it's when you begin to listen and learn from other cultures that you begin to cultivate empathy that then allows you to begin to take real steps of change in this area. Well, folks, you've been listening to a conversation between myself and Vance Pittman, uh, founding pastor of Hope Church and vice president of the North American Mission Board, president of Send Network. You need to know uh, his church is so committed to this vision of exalting Christ through ethnic unity um, that one of the key leaders uh, who has emerged as part of the team is a Filipino guy who uh, is going to be doing some teaching. Uh, it has a voice around the table and along with Teddy and Ricky and a host of others, Travis, it is a beautiful site, Scott as well, of what God is doing at Hope Church. Vance Pittman, uh, I don't say this to flatter you. In fact, I, I tell people uh, this behind your back all the time. Uh, one of the most authentic uh, followers of Jesus Christ and leaders in the multi-ethnic space. This is not a church growth technique for him. It is a impassioned uh, sense of conviction that comes out of his understanding of the scriptures and following Jesus. I want to also encourage you to pick up his book, The Stressless Life. I guarantee you it will bless your life immensely. You've been listening to Brian Loritz, uh, host of the Summit's Kainos podcast. We're a pastoral podcast exploring what ethnic unity looks like in a large, predominantly white Southern church. Until next time, have a blessed day.